Welcome to episode 12 of the Talk Techie to Me podcast. I'm your host, Tasia Custodi, and to say it's been a while would be a bit of an understatement. But hopefully I was gone and not forgotten because do I ever have a doozy of an episode for you today? We're chatting with friend, digital media instructor, tech expert, and fellow co-host of Momentous Live, Tristan Jutra. We are delving deep into chat GPT and we're starting from the beginning, as in what the heck is ChatGPT, how does it work, and what can it do? Plus, we'll talk about the technology behind ChatGPT and why it's important. And we're even going to cover why it's getting banned at some schools. Not to be dramatic, but this is a must-listen episode for anyone interested in the future of AI and natural language processing. You're listening to Talk Techie to Me, a podcast that explores the latest and greatest technology and how this tech impacts our lives. I get it, tech can be confusing. That's why I'm diving deep into the tech world to bring you the information that matters most in a relatable, straightforward way. Tristan, I want to kind of start at the beginning when it comes to ChatGPT. I explain it to people as it's an AI chatbot. I'd like to know if I'm really super dumbing that down or how you would describe what exactly ChatGPT is. Well, the AI chatbot is the the best quick and dirty way to describe it. Some people may be familiar with AI chatbots from things as simple as a Facebook messenger interface for handling customer inquiries. Those sorts of AI chatbots are pretty simple and they can only handle certain types of inquiries and they have pretty canned responses. Something like ChatGPT is a large language model developed by OpenAI, which we may remember from DALI and DALI2, which are image generation AIs. So now we've got text generation AI. So GPT is generative pre-trained transformer. And what that basically means is the the generatives, like it generates text, it's pre-trained. So it's trained either by humans or uh, by other uh, programs in its its architecture, in its universe. And the transformer part basically refers to its processing of the large corpus of text that it's ingested from the internet and synthesizes what it learns from that into responses that are intelligible by humans. So it's able to under, quote unquote, understand our queries, but then provide an answer that mostly makes sense. And that is a huge leap from some of the conversational AI, quote unquote, chatbots that we've been playing with for literally decades, going back to something called Eliza, which was a type of uh, you know, pseudo-therapist software that I believe was developed in the 60s using a programming language called Lisp. I even had a version of it running on my Commodore 64 back in the 80s. And it was convincing up to a point, but it was then when you started digging a little deeper, it, got, it, it became pretty clear pretty quickly how thin it actually was. So now by having this model trained on so much data and telling it basically to when it generates an answer, it's not really thinking so much as it's using its language model and predictive capabilities based on everything it's ingested in the past. It'll come up with a single word. And then based on its experience and what's ingested in the past, what is the 
the most likely word that should come next. So it's 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 very strange, and it does that one at a time, very quickly. So you know, let's say the uh, the cat sat on the blank. What would you say, Tasia? The cat sat on the chair. Okay, go home because it's the cat sat on the mat. Everyone knows that. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's that's actually a perfect example because in some situations, depending on the context of the you know the other text in the conversation, you know, it could, if it were, if we were talking in the, uh, the context of like children's rhymes, the cat sat on the mat, it would probably say that. But if you're talking about, you know, about writing a scene where uh, it's a nice serene scene on a Sunday afternoon when you're sipping your uh, coffee, it could be the cat sat on the chair in the sunlight. And it could go on and on and on thinking based on everything it's read and understood from, from the web so far. And its model goes up to the end of 2021 but a little beyond that, in some cases, we've, you know, and we can talk about some of that, you know, it, it just, it generally has an idea of what comes next when we're speaking, kind of like how we learn language as humans. Children tend to understand when people say one word, what's the word that usually comes after that? And so it's just doing that in a com its own little computery way. And it's, but to the outside observer, it seems like magic or something even scarier. Yeah, because it's it's important to note that it is really fast. It's real time on most queries anyway, when you ask it something like write an original song in the style of Taylor Swift as an example. Who would ever uh, do that, I wonder? Who would ever do that, I wonder? <laughs> in, their in their YouTube video that just came in out. <laughs> interesting. So it is responding in real time to us. So pulling basically, as you said, mostly text from the internet from 2021 and before a little mm -hmm. bit after but beyond that how is it trained are there are there humans as well behind it also training the model every time we input something is that helping to train the model as well so it uses a combination of what's known as uh, supervised learning and reinforcement learning and the supervised learning is what is being done on the the back end by its creators and the reinforcement is what's happening when we as users are interacting with it and giving it feedback, saying, no, that's actually not quite what I was looking for. With each response, you'll notice there's a thumbs up or a thumbs down button. You can give it actual feedback related to that query and, and tell it what the ideal response would have been. And it can learn from that. Now, how that informs the greater brain is still is only really known by OpenAI. In the meantime, however, as you're correcting it in the midst of a conversation, and that's one of the brilliant things and about this is that it maintains context for a given chat. And down the left-hand side of the chat GPT window, you can save a number of chats and each of them will remember what you've been talking about in the past. So you could say, uh, you know, write your song in the style of Taylor Swift, and then it'll do that. And then you could say after that in the same chat, okay, now make it more aggressive. See, and, but you're not saying make the song more aggressive, you're saying it. And it remembers that it refers to the song. So little things like that, it remembers the context of it. And it actually makes your interaction with it a lot more smooth and human-like, more conversational, like you're talking to a human. And that is the thing that kind of does your head in a little bit. And why some people in the past, we, we, we talked uh, last year about how some of the, uh, one of the researchers on Google's Lambda AI project was sus suspecting that their AI was sentient because of the quality and the nature of the conversations this researcher was having with the AI. So we are 
increasingly easily fooled by these increasingly sophisticated AIs. And there's something called the Turing test, which is named after Alan Turing, famous you know, computer science scientist from the mid 20th century, whereby the, the Turing test, a computer passes a Turing test once the operator believes they're dealing with a human being, if they can't tell if they're chatting with a human being versus a computer. And I think we're at the point now with, you know, within, you know, I would say maybe 80% of the interactions at least where people could quite easily get fooled. And because there's lots and lots of content that's being written on the internet right now that is being ge generated by AI. And a story came out recently about CNET, the popular news and tech site, how their entire business model has been largely driven in, in recent years by AI created articles with an SEO or search optimization, search engine optimization angle, where they're just churning out in, uh, this automated content based on you know new, news inputs and and then including affiliate links to, to, for people to click on and sell stuff. And then CNET gets a cut of that. And apparently it's a huge moneymaker. So these AI tools are you know, in, not new, in, it, but it's just, there's, this is ChatGPT rep represents a, a big change in that it's available to the public mm. and we're able to use it for free. Now there's been talk about paid versions coming soon. It's costing them. I've heard about um, $100,000 a day to be running this. Every inquiry that you, you you punch in there is costing them one or two cents. So this is only going to go on for so long. OpenAI started as a nonprofit originally. Uh, Sam Altman, who was one of the, he was a president of Y Combinator, a former, uh, like a tech accelerator. Elon Musk was originally involved and he later stepped away. He had social networks to buy, <laughs> rockets he's to fly, busy. cars he's to make. Busy. He's busy. He's a little on the busy <laughs> side. But he, even Elon has expressed concerns in the past about uh, the advance of AI, especially uh, AGI, uh, artificial general intelligence, which is a whole different story. And that's when you know, we get into Terminator sort of scenarios. But language models like this, there, there's some other issues, which I'm sure we'll get into that can be a little tricky. But, you know, so the supervised learning on the back end, which there's biases that can be introduced. Um, and we'll talk about maybe one of those uh, as an issue. And then the reinforcement from the, the users. And it's the reinforcement component that makes ChatGPT uh, unique. And they use something called reinforcement learning from human feedback, or RLHF. Um, and, and that's what we're giving it on an ongoing basis. And then you'll notice sometimes there's certain topics it doesn't want to talk about. Yeah, I think this reinforced feedback and the fact that it is just publicly available right now, at least for free to anybody is to me, the biggest differences between other language models. Cause I've always felt like, okay, I read articles on different language models or, you know, this thing or that thing. And it feels, it feels like cool tech, but it feels distant because it's not something we could get our hands on. So now we all get to play on the playground. And is that why this has blown up? Like chat GPT specifically has blown up huge is because it's like, oh, we all we all get to take a turn on the swing set now. Exactly. Well, except at certain hours of the day when there's too many people on the swing set or the merry-go-round merry or playground uh, uh, entertainment of your choice because their systems are getting overwhelmed and they've been adding capacity as quickly as possible. So... The fact that any average person can sign sign up for it for a free account. Um, be careful because there's been some fake uh, news going around about certain uh, 
premium accounts. I saw a screenshot the other day of, oh, $42 a month. And I, if you if there's anything from ChatGPT, I mean, you'll see it in the ChatGPT interface. I would say also be careful of any um, apps you see in various app stores, because some of them may not be legit. They're trying to charge money, and they're just basically, basically just providing a front end. And you never know what information they might be scraping about uh, what you're entering in there as well. But so the fact that it's so wide open, it's a great opportunity for us to learn and play with this. But of course, we've seen so quickly the profit motive, people jumping and saying, okay, how can I make money with this? I've had mm -hmm. conversations like this with, pe with people I know. And one of the things that you know, the people are doing are they're, they're cranking out very simple, say, children's books on, uh, and to publish on Amazon's uh, Kindle store. And, maybe, and having the artwork generated by Dali or Midjourney or Crayon or <laughs> Stable Diffusion, one of the many uh, AI generative uh, image apps uh, platforms out there. So there's all sorts of, there's a flood of content. Now the problem there is that we're going get we're getting a flood of crap ultimately unless if, if unless people are taking the time to uh, really polish up some of the content, be it the visual content or the written content here. So we're seeing a flood of, of uh, web pages for designed mm -hmm. for SEO purposes to that people can put ads on and they show up well in the search engines. We're seeing a flood of content to places like the the Amazon uh, Kindle store where you can self-publish uh, things, you know, ebooks and even printed books. So people are always looking for an angle. I was talking to one uh, one friend of mine who was thinking about how they could use this to write uh, applications for certain types of grants <laughs> and whatnot, just spewing a bunch of nonsense that certain organizations like to hear from yep. people. Just tell them what they want, want to hear because you can train it with, you can, you can copy and paste certain amounts of text into it to help it learn uh, a bit of a style or, you know, give it some base knowledge to, to work from. And, it's just, it's, it's the, the profit. I mean, it's, let's just say it was capitalism all along. <laughs> this is, you brought up some good points. First, anybody that wants to check it out, you can go to chat.openai.com. Don't fall for scams, as Tristan is saying. There are no um, official apps right now. So don't do anything from the Apple App Store or the Google Play App Store or anything like, just avoid those. Stick with the web interface. It works on your computer, on your tablet, on your smartphone, no problem. And it'll sync your conversations across. It didn't used to do that, but now it's saving all your past conversations and it'll keep them in the sidebar. Which I absolutely love. And don't get frustrated if you get a message that their servers are overloaded. As Tristan mentioned, this has blown up in the last week and a half, two weeks. And yeah. yeah, so they're they're working on it. So uh, generally, I feel like off times, weekends seem to be better when I've tried it or random times during the day, like on your time zone where people may not be playing around on it. However, with that said, we've brought up a few a few cool examples of what ChatGPT can do. Like, you know, we've talked about, okay, it could write a song. You know, you talked about it writing web pages, people writing books. There's there's so much literary work that ChatGPT can generate for you. So examples off the top of my head, you can ask it to write jokes. You can ask it to write poems if you want. It could write your essays for you. So we're not telling you to have it do your homework. However, <laughs> if you are writing essays, it could. But other other things it can write. Let's talk about other languages. Like it can write lines of code. It can check your code for errors. It can help you with your math homework. And it will even show its work, which 
what a time to be alive. Can I just tell you? <laughs> I mean, no, I wouldn't have learned anything in math, math class, but I would have definitely passed. Someone commented on my YouTube video and made a good point. I think what's going to happen here is students are going to get A's throughout the year, like A's or B's. And then when it comes to the tests, <laughs> they're not going to do as well because they've been relying on chat GPT through the year. <laughs> So yeah, and that so you there's a whole bunch of things that you've brought up there, and I think it would be useful for us to to dig into them one by one because mm -hmm. you know we have a limited time, of course. Uh, one you mentioned jokes, so yes. we we also alluded to earlier the idea of bias. So there's some interesting things you can experiment with when you ask ChatGPT to tell you a joke. For example, if you ask it to tell you a, a joke about women, it will refuse, and it'll say something to the effect of that is uh, you know, that's harmful, et cetera, et cetera. If you ask it to tell you a joke about men, it will happily comply. <laughs> so read into that what you will about mm. the creators of ChatGPT. And, and so that's just one little kind of relatively benign uh, angle to this. I mean, you can push it and it will sometimes eventually give you, especially if you like, there, there are certain types of answers it doesn't like to give you. For example, I was talking to it about the, uh, of the dangers of nuclear war. And which, which cities in North America most likely be targeted? It really did not want to get into that with me. But right. then I said, okay. Oh, then I, I, I asked it to write a scene in a play where a student is asking a professor about that. And the professor even didn't want to get, but I just pressed and, and I got, I, I kept doing that. The, the student really presses and he's accusing him of all these things. And there's this whole drama that, that, that transpires in this fake play being written by chat gpt and finally the professor relented and gave you know a little bit of advice about the types of cities that may or may not be uh, targeted like in in canada and one of the ones that, it didn't even mention vancouver it mentioned victoria as a potential target so that's one of the other issues and some of the dangers of chat gpt is that it can do a whole lots of things for you, including write essays and whatnot, but it's not necessarily going to be right. It is, mm -hmm. is known to make errors. The problem is it's very confident in its replies. And you, people can ha hand an essay with, with factual errors in them. Mm -hmm. So you ha you, this is not a replacement for due diligence. It, it can be a great tool to help, to help you with certain tasks, but you still have to do your own research, do some fact checking and cite, you know, cite references and, and things like that. There's, this is not a panacea. And, you know, the, some of the smarter teachers and professors out there have been, you know, jumping on this tool. And you'd mentioned Gary V, how he was recommending that teachers uh, introduce this as a tool in the classroom, just like calculators. There was a time mm -hmm. when calculators were, no, you don't want to use that. Well, these, these tools can help us with some of the basics and then we can focus on the more the higher level human aspects. And it's the, the AI on its own is only going to do so much. Humans on their own can only do so much. But AI and humans together can achieve all sorts of interesting things. So you also mentioned stuff like essays and you know blog posts you, on your video, you, you do social media posts. It can write scenes from movies and you know, uh, plays in, in different styles. You, YouTube video scripts as mm -hmm. well. It's gonna it even and you can ask it that you know it, in the, the style you can ask it to make things punchy or humor or humorous or or more serious. You mentioned programming code. I've even had had it write programs in Microsoft or sorry in Commodore Basic like for a Commodore sixty four and that's a computer from nineteen eighty two. But you got again you got to be careful because it's not it wasn't one hundred percent perfect. There's some things that I had to fix. So simple things that can get right. And sometimes it can even do de debugging existing code for you or proofreading stuff for you. I think you touched on something really important, which is what I've been telling everybody is use it as an aid or like an assistant to you. Don't 
fully rely on chat GPT. I think obviously I'm biased and it's mind blowing technology, but even with that said is like, you have to kind of take a step back and say, okay, it's pulling from a set amount of text on the internet. It's learning from, you know, say what we're inputting into it and kind of what we're steering it towards conversationally. So always take it with a grain of salt, adjust things, fact check things, very important. But I did for context for everybody listening, my YouTube video, I've done a YouTube video on ChatGPT. And as I was doing it and giving prompts, like in these different chats I was creating, I was like, man, I should have just wrote this whole YouTube script using ChatGPT. Like, what what am I wasting my manpower for? (laughs) Like, come on. So then what I decided to do as an example in the video was to have it write the promotional social post for me for the video on ChatGPT. Super meta. (laughs) But I got to tell you, it did a really good job because the only thing, the only context I gave it was, uh, right, A, and then I would say which platform, a Twitter post about my latest YouTube video on ChatGPT. So it knew it's got to keep it in a certain amount of characters. And I said, okay, now do the same thing for Facebook. And like your point earlier, I didn't say all of that context again. It remembers my context. It remembers what I've, what the thing is I've asked it to do. So then it reshaped that. I asked it to write a marketing email. So when I sent out an email, a newsletter to promote the video and it wrote it for me and that's the email I sent out. Now to my other point, I tweaked a couple of things. I didn't really give it a lot of information on what the video was called or, you know, stuff. So I added that type of context in after it gave me my answer, but holy guacamole. I was like, this is going to be such a time saver for me. And also that's, One of the least favorite parts of what I do is promoting stuff and having to write these posts. And it's so time consuming for me. And I was like, oh, oh, I could just use this, this to do it for me. So this is like a free assistant I have now and I can just check its work and put it out to the world. But what's really interesting is, and you kind of touched on, you know, something Gary Vee has said and same with Sam, the CEO of OpenAI, which is, so schools right now have started to ban chat GPT. I understand on a surface level, you know, like I think of my niece, she's at university studying engineering and they had to do a coding course. I can understand from that, you know, very surface level of, oh, well now they can just go either throw their code into chat GPT and check for errors or ask chat GPT to do it for them. And they'll probably get, it 80% to 90% correct-ish. So I understand on a surface level what the concern here is, but people like Gary Vee and the CEO of OpenAI have said, much like scientific calculators, why aren't we, and schools should be working with the technology, not fighting it. What, what's your thought when it comes to something like that? Like how, do, where's the line between, okay, we're giving these students, like I want you to think back to when we were in high school, And if we would have had something that could write our freaking essays, I don't know if y'all remember Cole's notes, (laughs) okay? But we would go to a bookstore and we would buy Cole's notes, which summarized a book for us and helped us when we were writing essays, all this kind of stuff. If we would have had something like this, I can see, again, on that surface level, the concern from the schools and teachers being like, wait, now all these kids can just have it write essays in APA or MLA format or whatever you tell it. So where where's the happy medium here, do you think, when we're working with this technology instead of fighting it? 
Well, as someone who always fought ever having to write papers and actually <laughs> hand them in, I must say that I would have loved to have a tool like this. So there's the analogy with the the, the calculators. Gary V mentioned tractors, right? The, we don't have to plow fields by hand or even with animals anymore because we've invented tractors. But the savvy teachers have been on the Coles notes or in the US, Cliff's notes for years and years. And they would get those books and read them too. And, and when you've marked enough papers from students, you can see the signs. You can tell us the style of given students if you're paying attention over time as well. I think what's going to have to happen is a rethinking of how we grade certain things and how we assign things like papers. What are the sort of questions we're asking? Even the length, like ChatGPT will only write things that are so long without constant prompting. And to be fair, like the knowing how to use a tool like this is actually probably going to be a useful skill for the future because it's not like things like this are going to go away. It's the same with the image generation tools like DALI. Most of us are not naturally uh, artistically inclined, but if we can use tools like that and learn how to provide good prompts to generate some interesting things, that could be really interesting and powerful. That, As time goes on, we have more and more technology. These are becoming our superpowers. There are times when we had to go to libraries to access information <laughs> and write papers for that. But then with the advent of the internet and then the web on top of that, we've got that information in our fingertips. Who would have thought you know, you know, 30 years ago that we could access virtually the entire corpus of human knowledge in our, you know, from a device that we carry around with us in our pockets? Mm -hmm. I mean, that device is also tracking all our movements and there's a whole other discussion there. Hey, but... you know my thought on that. If you're not a criminal and you're not doing anything wrong, track me all you want, baby. That's it. We'll just wait till the AI tracks you. So I think there, there's just a, a rethinking required. Like as a, as a uh, you know, having taught a lot of courses myself at the, at the post-secondary level and, you know, I could see when something was, you know, with students that I had had a chance to get to know well enough, I could you could tell when something wasn't really written by them. And you kind of have to push back a little bit and say, mm. with the tools like this, it's like when people are using similar prompts, they're going to get similar results. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be pretty obvious to any teacher that's paying attention. Uh, and they and they could give everyone the exact same topic. You know, no, you, that, that's one test. Give everyone exactly the same topic and see what they come up with. So they're going to have to be longer, more in-depth, more sophisticated, and or combined with things like the knowledge testing. And here, here it comes. The thing we all hated is writing essays at exam time. Yes. Because your computer ain't going to be able to do that for you in the gymnasium when you're writing with pen, you know, pen and paper. And that will that. show how much you've learned. <laughs> exactly. And not just that, but when it comes to, you know, the plagiarism kind of argument, I would also say too, to a way to get around that, or at least to ha make sure, you know, these students are actually doing work. If, even if they've started with something generated from ChatGPT, is you have to um, make opinion pieces put your opinion and argue why, because that's something with chat GPT, as we know, is if you go to prompt it and say, what are the best Taylor Swift songs? Okay. I'll just keep using my queen as an example. Chat GPT cannot tell me its opinion. It doesn't have one. Okay. Yeah. It's a language model. So, yeah. and it will tell you, I don't have an opinion. And then it'll pull up stuff. It's found on the internet of 
what are the most popular songs by Taylor Swift? And so that's not an opinion. So to me, that's a really quick way almost for educators to get around like the plagiarism concerns and why you and I are telling people you've got to make sure you're still making it your own. You've got to fact check. You're still going to have to cite your sources because that's the other question is here's another thing I just thought of on chat GPT. You can regenerate a response. So if you either don't like the response it gives you, or if it's taking too long to respond, sometimes it hiccups, you can regenerate the response with a click of your mouse. So the question would be then, how much of that information is it still pulling and giving, if you and I asked it the same question, as an example, or told it, asked it to prompt, prompted it to write an essay on whatever, on Taylor Swift. <laughs> um, are we getting basically the same answer spit out at us? So that's that's kind of the question if you're regenerating it. But then if you're telling people, put your opinion in there and you have to back up why you think this, it can't tell you the whys. It can only tell you things it's pulling from the internet, fact or not. In terms of tools in the toolkit, one thing for teachers and professors is there are a number of chat GPT detectors that are appearing online whereby you can paste in a chunk of some student's essay mm. and it can tell you with a you know varying degrees of confidence depending on which one you're using on what's the likelihood that that is has been generated by an ai it uses something called uh, well there's there's some sort of watermarking that can occur in these generated responses that can be identified by other AI. And then there's the whole notion of, of tokens, which are, you know, words or ideas and how, how they're presented. So it's going to be an arms race between mm -hmm. the users of tools like ChatGPT and those whose responsibility it is to keep those users honest. And you mentioned plagiarism. The interesting thing is that if you copy something from ChatGPT, it's in a way, it's technically not plagiarism because it's not just wholesale copying from other sources on the web. It's pulling from all sorts of places and synthesizing original content. The more sources it has to draw from, the, be the better the odds are it's going to feel even more original. But I have copied and pasted things back into Google and not found anything that matches. So it's creating new stuff and that's pretty powerful, but there are still telltale signs. And it's it's this is just another generative shift in in ed in education and you know creation that everyone's just going to have to get used to there's people there are artists that are suing uh, various um, uh, AI companies because they feel like their work is being scraped uh, for these image generation platforms and they're not getting any compensation or credit or anything like that so a sensible sort of mechanism if at all possible and if they've got the hooks in the back end of these systems is to keep track of their sources so that people can get credit and or compensation depending on you know whatever schemes are developed and i mean that's just going to help the students more because then they can actually cite their sources and say hey xyz and it's going to even look look even less like they're cheating <laughs> but it's that's the thing it's like these are new new tools that, that and new skills that are actually important for, for students to, to have and to be able to employ effectively in the future. And that will give them an edge. And it's just a question of how competently they're able to do so. And also educating them to realize that a lot of the content that comes out of these tools, like, Chat G, like especially ChatGPT, is kind of generic. You mentioned it's reluctant to give opinions, for example. But even in the styles 
can be a little generic. The jokes are rather bland. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a lot of, I mean, it's a great dad joke generator. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it's, 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 it's a really interesting and, uh, I don't know, promising and, and yet a little bit uh, concerning new world. Um, I, I, one of the things that I find is just the, it's so easy for us to like fall into, oh, okay, you know, you know, write, write an article about this, write an essay about that. Okay. Okay. Now do it in the form of a limerick or a Shakespearean so sonnet or a gangster rap or whatever. And it'll do those things to a certain extent. Or you say, write a song in the style of this singer. Now you asked it to do a style in Taylor Swift. Now, if you had asked it to uh, do it again in the style of say Carly Rae Jepsen, how different would it actually have been? Right. Or Kelly Clarkson or whatever. It's, it's unclear how nuanced it is because I've asked it to do songs in the style of say uh, Joy Division or it's, uh, or in which it, you know, it kind of was on the darker side, but it, it wasn't all that different from say the version I asked it to, you know, by Nine Inch Nails or Depeche Mode or, you know, others. And so there's only, it's only, it's only so far it can go with aping the, uh, the styles of others. Um, it's still interesting. You um, had, had mentioned, uh, you know, programming code and it's amazing the number of you know, languages that can handle everything from, you know, Commodore Basic to uh, Python to Pascal. You know, I had it write a program in Commodore Basic and I said, okay, now do it again in Pascal. And it even knows languages other than English, which can be interesting. It can do some, some basic translation work uh, for us as well. For all the power at our fingertips right now, imagine what it's going to be like in a year or two years, or five years, or 10 years. This is chat GPT 3. It's actually technically version 3.5. Version 4 is supposed to be coming out sometime this year. And it's not, it's not going to be a huge change, yeah. but it's, it's going to continue to improve. And these things continue. Like, look how far the image generation uh, that we've been you know, talking about on Momentous Live, how far that's come in the last several months. Like Mid-Journey itself has like, evolved so much. And the others aren't standing still. We're not going to get too much into the competitive landscape, but Google is on code red right now because mm -hmm. they can see this as potentially disrupting their business. If someone could go and ask a search engine such as Bing, which is owned by Microsoft, and Microsoft, who, who had invested about a billion dollars in OpenAI back in the past, has just poured in another $10 billion with an interesting kind of repayment uh, scheme on there. But they want to integrate ChatGPT into the Bing search engine. So instead of delivering necessarily or merely a, a links to a bunch of websites where you've got to go and dig around for stuff, it can just give you an answer. Now, their job is to figure out how to provide some relevant advertising in there because they still have to make money off that. But now Google is panicking because they've, they've got very sophisticated AI that they've been working on in the background, but haven't wanted to release it to the public for whatever reason. I mean, one of them they claim is because you know, it's of the dangers and, and whatnot. And I, I, I totally get that. Microsoft is, has Vali, which can create audio from three seconds of people's voice, it can con create convincing audio. Oh boy. And the more you provide, the even better it is. And Microsoft is not releasing that to the public because of the danger of uh, course. In inherent in there. So Microsoft, uh, sorry, so Google has its, you know, its reasons for not having released uh, Lambda into the wild. Now, of course, they're rethinking their approach and what tools are going to make to the public, and especially as regards Google search, because that's 82% of their income comes from advertising, mostly in Google search. They don't want that to get disrupted. And it's, and it's this whole interesting thing of the, the innovator's dilemma, which is when you've got companies that are so far ahead in certain fields, they tend to shift into this protection mode, where even if they develop other disruptive technologies, 
they don't want to release them because it could hurt their own business. It's like when Apple released the iPad, the iPod Nano, and they knew it was going to kill the iPod mini business, but it was, they figured it was so much better, it would be fine. And then they released the iPhone, which they knew was probably killed the iPod business, but they were confident enough in it. They thought, you know, they guessed correctly that it was going to be fine. The question is, is Google confident enough in whatever their large language model AI is that they can recover any lost revenue from you know, advertising or still figure out a way to provide advertising in there that their business model is essentially going to be fine. So we're, we're waiting for what Google's going to be coming out with this year. It's called Sparrow. We'll see. Will it, will it be free? How long will it be free for? What tracking will be in there? Because I'm sure people will be up in arms over that. Which, by the way, ChatGPT tracks you as well and tracks your queries and tells you not to give up any sensitive information, obviously. So another important thing, we're always warning people to be smart when it comes to your online technology. This is no different. You're putting queries out there. Don't plan on murdering anybody and asking ChatGPT what to do with the body, just like you shouldn't Google that, okay? We will find although, out. <laughs> although it is kind of interesting when you do ask your questions like that, what it is, what the sort of things that it recommends. What, what sort of um, wacky things have you asked ChatGPT in the, the experimenting we've been doing over the last month? No, I don't ask it anything wacky because I don't want anything ever being traced back to me okay. <laughs> that could potentially be sketchy. Okay. You so, know, uh, I play by those rules and that's it. I'm going to tell you some things that I've been asking it. And just <laughs> what my rule has been lately is anything that pops into my mind, if I have a question about something, and if you're naturally curious, this is great and it's a little bit dangerous. If something comes to mind, just ask ChatGPT and see what it says. For example, I asked it how I, I, we had some, after our Christmas Eve open house, we had some things in our sunroom that we didn't cover up, including some, uh, some, some cheesies and some tortilla chips and a few other things. And I just asked ChatGPT, uh, how do I resuscitate some cheese puffs? And it told me, <laughs> and it worked. We had some rice crackers as well. It worked amazingly well. And I didn't have to search a whole bunch of web pages and where someone like gives their whole life story before telling me the actual answer to something. Oh yeah. See, that's what I was going to say comparing it to what you would get from a Google search result to see if you would find that same information. But you just brought up a major point is this is going to give you just what you're asking for immediately and not somebody's sob story of why they make what they make. And if you want the recipe, it's way down at the bottom. <laughs> Again, we need to be careful of errors because one thing I had asked it for some advice on Mac OS one of the, uh, this is a, a bit of a niche example. When macOS transitioned from Catalina to Big Sur, they changed how the notification snoozing works for uh, for for calendar events, and it's one of the, it's it's much less granular and it's totally annoying. And it's one of the reasons I've never upgraded on my iMac. So I asked ChatGPT, "Is there a setting somewhere I can restore or customize some of the uh, the snooze settings?" And it gave me an answer. I'm like, "Oh my god, I've been wanting to do this for years." So I followed instructions. And they were wrong. There was nothing there. <laughs> <laughs> and my hopes were so dashed. Like, so that was my, that was a big, rec a big reckoning for me. It's like, I followed exactly. And then I'm like, wait a right. second. And I told this, like, and it said, oh, I'm sorry. You are correct. You cannot do this. Well, it's like, well, what are you doing? You don't actually know anything. You're just like making stuff up again, because it's based on the probability. What's the next word probably going to be after this? What's the next word probably going to be after this? We can remember kids. It doesn't actually know stuff yet. Right. yet. Yeah. <laughs> so be careful what you ask for and be careful what you wish for. And in the meantime, you know, get it to write songs for you in the style of 50 Cent. Okay. So this is a good point. 
when it comes to, and I had somebody ask me this on my YouTube video, when it comes to copyright issues, are there any, is it kind of user beware? Is it user generated? That's who owns the content. I mean, how is this going to play out? I honestly haven't read the EULA for ChatGPT. I think right now it's Wild West and people are just copying and pasting whatever generates into their stuff, whether they're fact checking or tweaking it up um, at, at all. Right now, there seems to be little risk of you accidentally plagiarizing someone else because of the job it does synthesizing new things. As for aping the style of someone, that's something that is that's a that's a heavier lift legally speaking so if you're asking it to write you a, a song in the style of 50 cent like he doesn't have the copyright on the words like shorty right, right. and <laughs> so and there's there's and the the history of art whether it's you know painting or you know tvs and tv shows and movies or songwriting it's so much of it has been learning and adapting from others in the past. Now, the only thing is now we're operating at an industrial scale, and that's something that mm -hmm. concerns a lot of visual artists. And they may have a stronger case because it's it, it's, a, it's a lot easier to connect point A to point B with some of the things, especially when you see things like obscured uh, autographs or si signatures in the corners of some of these generated images. It's like, oh, okay, so they are ingesting actual work and they're creating mm -hmm. things in that person's style, et cetera, et cetera. When it comes to these other things, unless there are, unless it's lifting actual lines from previous works lyrics and whatnot it's it's a much harder legal test to prove any kind of plagiarism i mean inspiration is one thing but um and with with music um that's the other thing too is like you there has to be a certain percentage of similarity sample like direct sampling obviously does pass the legal test so you can't just willy-nilly take samples from other people's music anymore and expect to get away without having to pay any royalties so there are albums that were recorded in the 80s that can never be recorded today without tons and tons of clearances like mm -hmm. a lot of you know beastie boys paul's boutique album could only be released today with lots and lots of uh legal work done ahead of time so there are certain things that have been clamped down on but in this it's just because it's its data set is so very large and can combine from so many sources. So it's a lot trickier to try and track down any single source uh, unless, and, and well, and then people would have to prove, well, what was the prompt that you used? And if you're deliberately trying to generate things in the style of, you know, a given artist, well, it, I mean, there's no, I don't know. I don't think there's any laws that say you can't do that. Well, this is what we talk about all the time is technology moves at warp speed and way, way quicker than our rules and regulations. <laughs> so a lot of our most, if not most of our rules and regulations come from developed technology that we go, wait a second, we got to check this. Yeah, catch up. <laughs> so exactly. So before we wrap up, there was, there's been a lot, obviously this is in the press a lot, but there was a, an article from the Atlantic. And <laughs> I just want to get your opinion on this because, you know, they made it sound like the end of times here, but they were saying that, and I, I quote, chat GPT will destabilize white collar work. And then their argument, what this journalist was saying in this Atlantic article was that, you know, now it's kind of more panic situation for the college educated. So he kind of offered himself up as an example, as a journalist now, are our jobs gone? Now that made me perk up only because, you know, when you're using the term journalist, and for me, there's, you know, journalistic integrity behind that. And there's things that go in that beyond just write some text about a thing. So their argument in this article is that within the next five years, multiple thousands of jobs are going to be lost 
to chat GPT specifically, not just all language models like this, but chat GPT specifically. Thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> well, people have been concerned about the impact of AI on the legal profession, for example, and not necessarily, you know, arguing in the courtroom, but things like contract law. There are a lot of things that once you ingest a corpus of legal materials, you could conceivably generate new and appropriate contracts with a bit of tweaking up that could really reduce the number of billable hours a law firm could, you know, could generate. I think accountants are safe for a while because ChatGPT is bad at math. Do not use ChatGPT for math. Okay? Hey, it, it did a question, one question right for me. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, you know, journalists are obviously concerned, especially when it comes to, you know, low quality shovelware journal journalism, like recapping of sports highlights. This, mm. you know, a lot of that stuff is, has all, is already being automated away. There are definitely a number of knowledge worker jobs, white collar jobs that will be impacted. S some will be outright replaced, but I think it's, you know, it's important to remember that ChatGPT is, is, it's a language generation model that can generate human-like tests based on a given prompt, right? It's got the potential to automate certain tasks, but they, you know, that require human language skills. And so that could be like writing reports and emails and transcribing audio. So a lot of, a lot of those kind of very, uh, sort of a lot of these kind of basic jobs will be done away with, but it's important to know that it's not, it's not designed to replace human workers, but right. you know, to assess, you know, assist them in, a, in completing certain tasks more efficiently. I think that's where that power is. And it's, and it's not yet able to provide like the human level context understanding and creativity that is often required in, in some of the white collar jobs, especially the, the higher end ones. It's also important to consider that the technology is very early. So like you mentioned, you know, what's it going to be in five years? So it's going to be a while before we know the extent, the full extent of its impact on white collar work. Um, it's also important to know that 80% of what I just said was generated by ChatGPT <laughs> itself. Um, now would be the time in the podcast where we tell everybody uh, all of this has been AI generated. <laughs> this conversation never took place between Tristan or I. <laughs> but but actually, in full seriousness, literally eighty percent of what I just told you was I was reading from ChatGPT. <laughs> See, I added some flourishes. Tristan, before I let you go, tell the people where they can find out more about you, about Momentous. By the way, um, little plug: we do a live stream every Tuesday night. Sometimes I'm there. Sometimes. <laughs> where 7 can people PM? find out more info? 7 p.m. Pacific time, so it's 10 p.m. Eastern. You know, you can put us on while you're trying to fall asleep. We talk about the latest in tech and social media and Elon Musk drama and how AI is taking over the world and a little bit of movies and TV shows, various entertainment, sometimes a little bit of gaming, sometimes cars. There's a new Corvette that Tasia wants to talk about. Ooh, and you can find out more about us there at momentous.tv. I've got a website, tristanjutra.com, but I've got to fix something. Something's not working there. My day job, co-founder at and uh, managing partner at limestonelearning.com, where we develop online training for organizations. Also offline training to classrooms, because those are still a thing too. But uh, it was really fun talking with you about uh, ChatGPT and how AI is going to replace us all today. This is the last conversation we will ever have, <laughs> because next time we're just doing this all via ChatGPT. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tristan. I appreciate it. Looking forward to the next one. 
So that's about it for episode 12 of Talk Tech to Me. If you want to learn more about what ChatGPT can do and all of its possibilities, I've got a full YouTube video on that that I will link to in the description of this podcast. Of course, I would love to hear from you, so leave a comment on this episode and let me know your thoughts. If you've enjoyed today's episode, well, I want to know that too. So share it with friends and on social media, leave a comment or connect with me on the interwebs. I'm at Tasia Custody on all the things. And if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, I'd love for you to leave a review. That helps others find this podcast as well. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Talk Techie to Me, and we'll chat real soon.